0: continue my series today um, on the Ruach this week as we study the gifts of the Spirit. So I've been touching on this here and there, um, preaching on Shamashim, preaching on even on gratitude last week, but it was actually back in September prior to the fall feasts that I last focused on this teaching um, in in a dedicated message. And my my goal in teaching this is that uh, we are going to be continue to be built up as a local body in our understanding of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the gifts that are given by the Spirit and how they manifest themselves in the congregation as a whole and individually in our lives. Um, that's, that's the goal of this teaching series that we really started actually last June. Um, so... I talked about imash this this idea every member of Shamash. Um We talked about how um, really this melded into a discussion on the office of Shamashim that we talked about in uh, earlier in November. Um, but back in September, we read through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, 12 through 32, and we noted in that how God, His intention is to make us less independent less independent and more dependent on him and more interdependent on each other. And we talked about how this local body here, remnant of Israel, has a multifaceted diversity, a multifaceted diversity of parts that God intends to work together for his glory. And God has given us all of the parts that we need to function as his body. So that no one here can say, I don't need you. No one here can say, you don't belong, or I don't belong. Every one of us here has a part, a function, to contribute to the body. And yet, they're not all being used. And when they're not being used, we don't really have a functional body. And when we don't have a functional body, what life could be like if we did have a functional body with all of the gifts and people using their gifts in their roles. We have no idea what can be done when the entirety of the body functions together, because we only know what it's like when just a few people, a few of those functions are operating. And so we want to experience the fullness of what God desires for us. The fullness of His gifts in every single member of the remnant of Israel. That's what we want. So, that's what I talked about previously. Today we're going to go to the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. So you guys can just go there. We're going to hang out there today, 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, you often hear this this, uh, in weddings, right? It's the love chapter. You know, in weddings, they say, it, you know, love is this, love, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, love is this and love is that, and you know, we, we think about love and weddings and the couples in love, and it's true, you know, in a way they're related, but 1 Corinthians 13 has a way bigger stage than weddings, okay, <laughs> way bigger. Um, it was not written in the context of a wedding. It's not what 1 Corinthians 13 was written for. It was written in the context of instruction for spiritual gifts. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 was, was written for. The context of it is instruction for spiritual gifts. So we're going to reread it today in light of the temporary spiritual gifts. When I say temporary on purpose, we're going to get in that. I'll, I'll mention it briefly at the end, but we're going to really talk about that next week, I think. Um, just the temporariness, temporality of the gifts. Um, but if I can, I actually get a volunteer just to read. Come up here and read the whole chapter, First Corinthians thirteen. I'll get you a mic, and we'll have you come up here and read. Thank you, Adrienne. You're welcome.
1: Sorry, I thought it was first, verse 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and a- of, of angels, but have not love, I have become as sounding brass or a clanging c- c- uh, symbol. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysterious and all knowledge and I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love. I am nothing. And I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to burden, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffering long and is kind, love it does not envy, love does not parade itself, it is not puffed up does not have, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, it's not provoked, it thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in antiquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tons, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge it will vanish away, for we know in part and we prophesy it in part. But when but when that which is perfect has come then, that is which is in part will be done away. When I was a child I spoke as a child, but when I became a man I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as also I am known. And now I bid faith, hope, love these three things, but the greatest of these things is love.
0: Thank you, Adrienne. 1 Corinthians 13. Again, talking about The loving use of the gifts. Now, Paul's intent, he wrote this letter to the congregation at Corinth, I believe that he really wanted them to know, and he wants us to know that there is a right way and there is a wrong way to use the charismata, the the grace-based spiritual gifts. That there is a way to function in those gifts that can cause damage or be useless and there is a way to function in them to build up the congregation to build up the kingdom of God and the difference between those two ways is love and love is that what yes and, and that, that isn't just some romantic sense of the word right it's it's when we use the spiritual gifts for in the love of God's glory in contrast to the love of self-glory. That's the difference here. Now, you've probably heard that there's like four or five different words in common Greek that are used to sum up what we in English use, say, in love. Um, There's actually like eight or nine words (laughs) Uh, but only four of them are used in the New Testament. Um, there is uh, eros, which is romantic love. There is philia, which is brotherly love. There is agape, which is a selfless love. And then there's storge, which is the natural affection in a family. So those are the four types of love that are mentioned in, in the New Testament in Greek. Um, the Greek word used throughout this chapter in chapter 13 is Agape. Okay, so we're talking about this selfless love here. Um, in the in the Greek Septuagint of the Tanakh, you're going to find Jewish scholars chose to use the word agape to translate the Hebrew word ahava. In in many places, so you might have, might be familiar with that word. Um, and when you interesting, this is just kind of a side note. I found this interesting when I was when I was studying this week. Um, when you, when you read through and you look at, in the Septuagint, where they chose to use agape um, for ahava, 11 of the 15 times is in the Song of Solomon. Which I I, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Jessica kind of laughed too. Because I often read that book in a romantic sense, and then I'm like, wait a minute. Maybe I need to reread that book. When it's talking about Agape. In all the instances, so I, I have not gone and restudied Song of Solomon. Maybe someday we'll do a Song of Solomon series here. <laughs> um, beware, though, if we do, we might get we might get spicy. So um, it did interest me as I was prepping that, but um, we're here to talk about love in this context of spiritual gifts. So. Um, as I said, we want to rethink this chapter in the, in the lens of spiritual gifts. So one way you can think about agape love is giving ourselves to each other for the sake of enjoying God and His grace. I'm going to repeat that. One way you can think about agape love is giving ourselves to each other for the sake of enjoying God and his grace, because God wants us to enjoy him. He gives us his glory to enjoy him. He is a good father, and he knows how to give good gifts, and he gives us himself to enjoy. In agape love, we are giving of ourselves so that someone else can enjoy God, can encounter God in a new way, in a fresh way, in a good way. So in this chapter, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul gives us some examples, or negatively, I'll say some negative examples, and then some positive attributes. So the first three he talks about is three examples of what happens when someone may try to operate in the spiritual gifts without agape love, without focusing on bringing others to enjoy God and His grace. So the first one is speaking in tongues. Okay, In verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So I could bring a clanging cymbal down here from the stage. I think I did that earlier this year. I woke somebody up. Um, <laughs> and you know how bad it sounds when it's not used in its proper context. It's not pleasant just to hear somebody smash a cymbal, Um, and at best, if you're really close, or at worst, I should say, if you're really close to it, it could hurt. It could hurt your ears. Not just be annoying, because it can be annoying with with just hearing somebody hit that, you know. But with the right use, it's a good thing, like. Using a symbol correctly, it can accentuate a song really well, right? But in the wrong use, it is annoying or it can even be hurtful. And the same thing happens with tongues. So whether, whether when we speak, whether we speak plainly in whatever language you happen to speak, Most of us here speak English, some of us here speak Spanish also, maybe some other languages. Um, Whether it's in those plain words or in a spiritual tongue, when we do it without agape love, when we don't have that love in the use of our tongues, it's annoying or even hurtful. And I think that's why some people are are both skeptical of and even dismiss the use of spiritual tongues because perhaps maybe you've experienced the time when there were other people speaking in tongues and there was no interpretation or and it might have been bothersome to you might have been annoying to you like I don't know what they're doing they're just it sounds like they're babbling um, you know and it may have been an entirely legitimate gifting in tongues okay entirely legitimate, but not being used for the edification of those in the hearing. Does that make sense? Not being used for the edification for those in the hearing of those tongues, and thus not agape love that's meant to give glory to God and help others enjoy him. Because not everyone has that automatic interpretation of tongues. There needs to be an interpretation of tongues when it's when they are shared for other people. And in addition sometimes there are, you know, there are people who understand like you might you might um, understand what tongues are in the sense of someone is speaking in tongues and be like, "Oh, I know they're speaking in tongues," even if you yourself didn't have the the interpretation, but there are some people here who or some people who may be not believers who are just like, "I have no idea what just what they were doing, what just happened here," right? Like, no clue, right? And nor did they maybe have an interpretation. And they might even find that even more annoying for whatever that babbling is just coming out of somebody's mouth. And so I don't say that as a discouragement for speaking in tongues. But just that we have to be careful with the use of our tongue. Now, and this is, again, for plain English or spiritual tongues. Our intent... Is always to edify others to the glory of God. When, whenever they are used, the intent behind them is to edify others, to build up the body for the glory of God. Okay. Now I know that we could have discussions on well, I have a personal tongue versus a tongue for the body, things like that. I I know that there are there are differences in understanding there and and what they're for. So I'm not. I'm not teaching against use of personal tongues, and I'm not teaching against that. In fact, I welcome the use of tongues. But I welcome the use of tongues for the edification of the body. It's is, is how we welcome them. And, and I welcome any one of us speaking in a normal language for the building up of the body as well, in the same way, okay? We need to treat them in the same way, that... When we're speaking in any way, in any language, that we're speaking for the building up of the body, that we are doing that for the glory of God. So that's the first one is the speaking in tongues. The second one is verse 2, where it says, If I have the gift of prophecy and know is in all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So you and I, we could have genuine prophetic words. We could explain to people all of the scripture. We could unfold the book of Revelation, tell everyone this is exactly what it means. I know you don't know it, but I do, because I got all the mystery and knowledge in my head, (laughs) right? (laughs) We could have all of that. We could have words of knowledge regarding people's lives. We could have faith to heal and do really other amazing wonders and see it happen. But if we don't do these things in agape love, they are useless or worse. If they're not pointing others to God first and foremost, they're worthless. If, if someone is, for instance, if someone has a prophetic gift and tells others that they need them, like if I were to tell you I have a prophetic gift and you need to you need to hear through God hear from God through me because I have a prophetic gift like that mm, that's that is that is dangerous self promotion okay and that is no sign of greatness in that person it is not a sign of spiritual maturity it is a sign of pride um, in a person now consider Balaam as. Uh, as a person who had a prophetic gift. Numbers 20, chapter 22, 23, 24, the story of Balaam. He was a prophet. He had a prophetic gift, okay? Um, But he was not one who was counted as one who truly feared God. God did give him prophetic words. And Balak, the king of Moab, he wanted to hire Balaam to prophesy. He wanted to hire him to prophesy cursing over Israel. And Balaam wanted to do it but yet God wouldn't let him. And Balaam ended up prophesying a blessing. Um, We even use some of that blessing in our liturgy. The first first piece of liturgy that we sing every week is "Matovu," Comes from Balaam. Numbers 24, verse 5. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwelling places, O Israel. Those are words of God through Balaam that we use every week. Yet, Peter, disciple of Yeshua, apostle, he told us in 2 Peter 2.16 that Balaam loved the wages of wickedness. His heart was in the right place. Balaam's heart was not in the right place. He did not act in selfless agape love in the use of a legitimate prophetic gift that he had. Similarly, if someone were to have a word of knowledge that they were using in a way that was meant to demean or tear down or spread gossip instead of providing godly direction and healing, that is useless and dangerous. If someone has faith or uses a faith and healing gift to show off and bring glory to themselves, that's useless. That is not helpful to the kingdom. If someone has a gift of teaching and is using it to promote their branded ministry and their product line, that's useless. I, I, I think that that's why some people dislike TV showman preachers um, that tend to be in that way, that they seem they have this appearance of being more interested in pouring dollars into their ministry than into uh, the Spirit pouring into the people that they're ministering to. The, re- the reality is, though, that God can use. Sinful people, people who don't have the right heart intent, just like Balaam, to do his work. So, the point is, somebody having a sign or a wonder is not a point of spiritual maturity. It could be the opposite of that, in fact. Um, so, we have to, when we have the gift of prophecy, when we have a gift of knowledge, when we have a gift of faith, to draw, we have to use them to draw people to God, to point people to God, the Father, and to his glory, not to ourselves. That's when we have these spiritual gifts. And the third one that he mentions then in verse 3, says that if I gave away all that I own, and I hand over my body to be burned, but have not I gain nothing. So in the TLV it says, hand over my body so that I might boast. Um, Translations can get, get interesting when you're going from the original language, but... But uh, they both work. Interestingly enough, they, they both work. But if we give away everything, if we hand over entirely of our, of ourselves, we sometimes you know sometimes we, we do work, even sacrificial work. Sometimes we do that to get praise from other people. Um, I do that sometimes. I'm not perfect in that way. Yeshua warns us against this in 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 Matthew six one through four. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness for others to be seen by them; Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you do a righteous act, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets so that they may be glorified by men. Amen. I tell you that they have their reward in full, but when you do zidaka or righteous acts, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your righteousness may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret shall reward you. That's Yeshua giving us instruction of how we should behave, how we should have that heart attitude when we are serving others, when we are sacrificing of ourselves for others. But sometimes when we serve others, it's not to bless them or bring glory to God, but it's to feel good about ourselves even. Um, And this verse, it makes it even seem like it can go so far as martyrdom. Like, a person can be a martyr for a wrong cause. But being a martyr for a wrong cause gains you nothing. You don't get 72 virgins in paradise. Okay? Just think about how self-focused that is. You know, or we could give of ourselves. You could be the most generous person in the world. You know, Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, Bill Gates, founder of Microsoft, they are incredibly philanthropic, okay? They give away a ton of money, more money than I'll ever make in my entire life. Uh, Warren Buffett, the Oracle of Omaha, he does the same thing. Uh, You can go around the country, and you can see libraries that have the name Carnegie on them. Uh, Andrew Carnegie they're built on his past philanthropy but but if generosity is to bring glory to oneself it doesn't gain anything we need to allow our generosity to bring attention to our Messiah Yeshua that's what the intent and the purpose of our generosity needs to be is to being bringing attention to God bringing attention to the Father glorifying him and not bringing attention to ourselves Our God-given abilities, our wealth that might lead to generosity, it doesn't make someone spiritually mature either. Um, God can allow sinful people to give significantly, even for his purposes, and he's done that in the past, where they give much wealth. Instead, we need to be generous and self-sacrificial without making it known. And I know that there are many in this congregation that are like that. And they'll do things, and you guys do things for one another, and you don't tell anybody else about it. And I love that heart. And I don't need to know about it. And I I just know that it, I do know that it happens though, and I love that. And that's what we need to do. And we need to do these things to edify one another and to allow others to experience the goodness of God and to others experience his glory. Because the gifts are not given to build us up, to puff us up, but to exalt Messiah, to bless his people. That's what they're, that's what they're given for. So I want to talk about these, this delivery of gifts here, uh, of the giving of gifts and, and what they're for. You know, During the next few weeks, uh, our society is going to be focused on a certain man that is proclaimed to be a deliverer of gifts right? They call him Santa Claus, and many representations of him will appear in the area to allow kids to tell him what gifts they desire. I was at the mall earlier this week. I saw the, the booth in the mall for this. Parents are going to tell their young kids that on Christmas night he'll bring gifts. When the reality is, is that the Amazon and UPS drivers are delivering gifts in the days and the weeks ahead of time, right? Um, you know, when we think about ordering gifts, though, uh, when, when someone orders a gift from an online store, the expectation is that those gifts will be delivered to their intended recipient. Now, if there was an unscrupulous delivery driver who kept the gifts in order to enjoy them himself, in order to enrich themselves, they would be like any one of us who are trying to use spiritual gifts of God for ourselves and and making it all about us instead of delivering the gifts to the people that God has ordered them for. bless them for his glory. So we need to be, you know, like the faithful Amazon delivery person. Delivering the gifts that to the people that God has ordered them for. Now those are three verses that contain examples of, or negative examples in the sense of, or abuses of spiritual gifts. I want to go to the next few verses that talk about the attributes of what agape love is. In verses 4 through 7, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not brag, it is not puffed up, it does not behave inappropriately, it does not seek its own way, it is not provoked, it keeps no account of wrong, it does not rejoice over injustice, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. David Stern in his uh, Jewish New Testament commentary says that this description of love is not of its outward manifestations, but of its inward properties. It's, it's describing or distinguishing be, between motives and actions. And so, in, starting in verse 4 in this chapter, of a, talking about agape love, it's described as an, ad, as an attitude, or the attitude that we have with regard to ourselves and with regard to other people. So with regard to other people, it says, agape love is patient, and it's kind. That means with the the use of spiritual gifts, we glorify God in His timing. Patience with that. It's not our timing. And the gifts are shared with gentleness and kindness and compassion, making us think of God's chesed-loving kindness, and mercy of our Father. And regarding our, ourselves, it says that agape love is not envious. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. That means we're not envious of others who may have an appearance of having more spiritual gifts than we have. We're not envious of them or the more visible giftings, and we're not jealous of their quote unquote success, if we're talking about spiritual gifts here. Um, on the other hand, for those who may have a more obvious, visible gifting, we're not to be boastful about them, but to boast in God. The, the spiritual gifts should not lead to arrogance, but to humility, as God in His mercy is allowing us to be agents in delivering them to bless other people. We're just agents. We're just passing things along. Passing gifts along. It's, it's not about us right? It's about God. So in verse 5 then, it talks about agape love. It's contrasting again ourselves and others. And with regard to ourselves in verse 5, it says it does not demand its own way or become easily provoked or behave rudely. And so that is in the context of the use of our spiritual gifts that we don't impose the use of them on other people, For example, if you feel like you have a prophecy or a word of knowledge to share with someone else specifically, you don't have a right to just go and tell that to them, but you ask permission first if they will receive that from you or not. And if they say no, that you're not easily provoked about that that maybe it's not God's timing right now, that you're patient about that. Because it's not about you. It's about God and what He's doing. And we can't use the spiritual gifts in a rude manner that doesn't reflect on God's living kindness either. That doesn't draw people to Him. So with regard to others, in verse 5, it says, we don't keep track of offenses that others do against us. And this is really important because God might want you to use the gifts He's given you to bless somebody that has repeatedly or deeply hurt you. He might want you to use a gift. He might put you as an agent of delivery of gifts to someone who has hurt you. And if you keep a record of wrongs, you might be the one. You might prevent the delivery of that gift to its intended recipient if you're harboring that. So erase your list often. Verse six. Then let's go to verse six. Does not rejoice over injustice, but rejoices in the truth. Agape is described as an attitude regarding good and evil, and thus towards God, because we know that God is truth. John fourteen six. He's the light. First John one five. He is truth. He is light. He is goodness. He's the very definition of good. And he's the very definition of love. Love rejects evil. It clings to what is good. In other words, what we're saying here about not rejoicing over injustice, but rejoicing in the truth, with regard to agape love, agape love, because of that, because we know there is truth, and I will try to channel my inner Joe George here, There is, uh, agape love is based on objective morals that God defines. Okay? God defines that. And there is truth that God defines. Without absolute standards of right and wrong that are given by God, the concept of love has no fixed point of reference. Okay? And it can be shaped by circumstances or redefined by people anywhere, at any time. And we see this abundantly in our secular world that seeks to make up false definitions of love to suit their own purposes. We see this constantly. Our, Our love has to be based on objective definitions of truth, and that truth is who God is. And so this this should define what truth is and rejoicing in truth and not rejoicing over injustice. But our gifts should be used to correct injustice, to, to expose truth in situations where it might not be evident. But always in God's timing and His ways to be used for His glory and for the reconciliation of others to Him. Again, not for us. And the last one, verse... Things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And I really think this is talking about our attitude towards God. And those of us who love God, that we bear with and suffer what God allows to come into our life. And we believe what God says is true. And we hold confident hope in God's promises. And endure what God sets before us to endure through agape love. Now, we could alternately think about this verse as saying that the spiritual gifts are given partially to enable us as recipients or enable us as agents to help others bear through the struggles of life, to more firmly establish their belief in God to give them hope in him. that They need to have the hope that we have as well. It bears all things and it endures all things and it believes all things. So I'm going to close there, I think, today. Um, except to say, in closing, I want to hop to the very last verse. because I'm going to address verses 9 through 12, I think, tomorrow. But it, it, it talks about how the greatest of these is love. These, ho- these three remain, faith, hope, and love. I said tomorrow, next week. Um, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. I just want us to remember that the gifts that we have, that each of us, whatever God has gifted you, um, you know, He's gifted us these as we live in this time, in this partially fulfilled kingdom, waiting for Yeshua to return, to, point, to have these gifts, to use these, and to, to deliver these gifts to those whom God has intended for. To use these to point others to Yeshua, who is coming. He is coming. And He's using us to point others to Him. These gifts have to do with this fallen world that we live in. And they won't always be there. They won't be needed when Yeshua is reigning in his perfection. But the love of God will always be there. Because that is his character. His character. It cannot. So when it says faith, hope, and love remain. And the greatest of these is love. The character of God. Agape love has to remain and has to be the primary character of us as a body. This selfless love. It's God's character and it has to be reflected in our character and our use of the spiritual gifts. And when we do, when we emphasize this above all else, we're going to look a lot like Yeshua. We will. And we will, we will be in his image. This is what being made in his image is like. And that is when God is glorified. When we reflect his image.